Good afternoon. I want to talk on uh, the practice of meditation. I believe some of you are experienced meditators, some are new meditators, and still uh, it's good for us to spend some time trying to understand our uh, meditation practice. Everybody, I believe, is aware of the fact that we meditate for gaining some insight, understanding and uh, liberating ourselves from uh, numerous psychic irritants. That, in fact, is the goal of uh, meditation. I believe you all are familiar with the uh, main uh, discourse on the mindfulness, mindfulness, uh, four foundations of mindfulness. At the very beginning of the discourse, Buddha mentioned Four foundations of mindfulness is to is necessary uh, for achieving fivefold purpose. The number one purpose is. Uh, Purification of beings, purification of ourselves. Sometimes people uh, think that we are already pure. Uh, we don't have to do anything to purify. We are already clean. To substantiate this statement, this belief, they even say, they even quote certain uh, statements that Buddha himself has made in Anguttara Nikaya, where he said, uh, because this mind is luminous. 
This mind is luminous. And this luminous mind is defiled by adventitious defilements coming from outside. But an average person uh, ordinary people people who are unfamiliar with the Dhamma not associating with the right persons don't care for learning the teaching they don't know that the mind is luminous therefore for them there is no chitta bhavana purification of mind meditation chitta bhavana actually is uh, tranquility meditation samatha meditation Chitta is the mind roughly translated into English. And Chitta Bhavana, Bhavana means meditation. Chitta Bhavana therefore is meditation to purify the mind. There is another Bhavana called Panya Bhavana, purifying wisdom. Now, in this very statement, the people this, this quote very um, freely this uh, statement to, to support their uh, belief that uh, mind is uh, pure. But when we look at this uh, statement very carefully, the, state, the first part of the statement says that mind is luminous since common people who are unfamiliar with the Dhamma who do not associate with right person Aryans means noble ones the ones who have either attain enlightenment or treading the path to the attainment of enlightenment are called Aryans, noble ones. And some people who do not associate with them do not know that the mind is luminous. And therefore, they do not practice tranquility meditation to purify the mind. Now, if the mind is pure, what is the use of trying to purify it? What is there to purify it? The luminosity does not mean pure. Something can be luminous and still it can be impure. Like you take, uh, you know, this phosphorus, phosphorescent, and that luminous. You take... Uh, uh, glow worm 
It is luminous. Some mushrooms, you know, are luminous. Tin foil is luminous. <laughs> there are so many luminous things, but still they are impure, unclean. And also to make it even uh, more clear, Buddha said, uh, and this luminous mind becomes uh, impure by adventitious defilements. If something is pure, it can never be made impure. If it is pure, it remains pure. It is like um, a mirror. Mirror is shining, but dust can collect on the mirror. So this luminosity of the mind is uh, is not the the. It, it doesn't mean that it is pure or clean or free from uh, possibility or potential of uh, defiling. So, and all our effort, all our work uh, to develop the mind would simply become meaningless if it is pure. And all these um, 45 years Dhamma sermons that Buddha delivered would have been just a waste of time. He simply has to say, your mind is pure, keep it that way. <laughs> Don't do anything. There is a stanza where Buddha summarized his teaching. And he said, this is the teaching of all the Buddhas. Where he said, Sabba Papa Sakaranang, Kusalasa Upasampada, Sachit Pariyodapanang, Etang Buddhana Sasanang, avoiding all evils, Sabba Papa Sakaranang, not doing any evil, Kusalasa Upasampada, doing wholesome things, Sachitta Pariyodapanam, purifying the mind. This is the teaching of all Buddhas. Avoid evil, do good, purify the mind. The teachings of the Buddha. Even there he said, purify the mind. In Mahasatipatthana Sutta, at the very beginning, as I mentioned, he said, uh, because there are four foundations of mindfulness for the purification of being, satthanang visuddhya, for the purification of beings. And probably you may remember a very big book that uh, Venerable Buddha Gosa wrote called Visuddhi Magga. Almost thousand page book translated into English is all about purifying the mind. 
purifying wisdom. Seven stages of purification are listed in that book. And these are not his own invention. This purification, that these seven stages of purification is are given in the uh, in a discourse called Ratha Vinita Sutta, Relay Chariot Discourse, discourse on the simile of Relay Chariot. And it, these seven stages are stages of purification of morality, the mind, and the doubt, and so forth. So, uh, the whole practice of uh, uh, Buddhist morality is to purify the mind. And uh, in the Dhammapada, the first two stanzas, if you remember, these are very popular uh, Buddhist texts. Most people are familiar with the Dhammapada. First two stanzas, first one says, uh, uh, mind is the master, mind is the maker, mind is the chief. Then if one does, with, uh, if one uh, talks or does something with impure mind, then suffering follows the person like the cart that follows the foot or the ox that pulls the cart. That means if the mind is impure, and with that impure state of mind when we do something, we definitely must expect suffering. And then next answer says, on the other hand, if we do something with a pure mind, clean mind, then happiness follows us like our own shadow, which we even don't feel. Now this is a very beautiful simile that illustrates uh, uh, impure mind makes our work very, make our life very difficult, heavy, just like the ox pulling the cart, he pulls the loaded cart, not the empty cart. And he pulls it uh, and runs on the road, it may not be paved road. It may be very rugged road with potholes, ups and downs, winding roads. Similarly, when we do something with impure mind, the suffering follows us, and that's very heavy. By the way, when one attains enlightenment, liberating the mind from all these impurities, that state, that, uh, state of mind, or per one who has that state of mind, is called Ohitabhara in Pali. Ohitabhara, bhara means barrow, the weight. Ohitabhara means one who has laid down the burden. 
laid down the burden of suffering, burden of greed, hatred, confusion, pain, stress, disappointment and so forth. All these are burdens. So one who attains liberation is called one who he has laid down the burden. So mind if the mind is not mind is pure, there may not be any burden. Then uh, you study <coughs> at least you have uh, read uh, what is called Paticca uh, Samuppada dependent origination discourse. In the dependent origination discourse, uh, the very first thing Buddha has mentioned is that dependent upon ignorance arise volitional formations. So volitional formations arise as dependent upon ignorance. That means uh, mind cannot be totally pure if there is ignorance in it. <laughs> we tend to do all kind of wrong things. So, there are three main roots in our mind. Three main roots. One of them is ignorance. Greed, hatred, and delusion are the three unwholesome roots. So, uh, we meditate knowing that mind is luminous and yet it is not pure. In order to clean the mind we meditate. It has a lot of impurity, a lot of dirt, we have to use a lot of detergent <laughs> in order to clean it and brush it. Now, these are these impurities sometimes called hindrances, sometimes called fetters. I think you have heard these two terms. Some are called fetters, some are called hindrances. What is the difference between fetters and hindrances? Not, they are different not only by numbers, because uh, hindrances are only five. Fetters are ten. <laughs> so not because they are, of their statistics they are different. <laughs> they have more population on one side, <laughs> less on the other side. Therefore, one side is heavier than the other. Not in that sense. Because uh, 
hindrances and fetters, some of them are overlapping. You know, four hindrances overlap with four fetters. And therefore, they may not be that much different. And yet, they are different. They are mental impurities. What are the fetters? What are the hindrances? Uh, I'm not going to give a long, elaborate talk on any of them. I'm just uh, trying to uh, point out that the mind is not totally pure. Just, just to mention that I uh, mentioned these fetters and hindrances. And yet I also want to show the difference between these two. Uh, could you raise your hand if how many of you know at least by name fetters and hindrances raise your hand not too many I'm surprised <laughs> well in that case, I had to mention them by name at least. <laughs> uh, hindrances are greed for sensual pleasure. That's a hindrance. Hindrance to what? Uh, let me enumerate them. Let me give you the number first. Sensual pleasure. Uh, Greed for sensual pleasure. Then hatred, just the opposite of it. Sleepiness and drowsiness, as I mentioned this morning. Restlessness and worry. And doubt. These are the hindrances. Five. They are called hindrances as you... As, when the, as the word itself suggests, probably you don't need too, many, uh, too much explanation of the meaning of hindrances, something hinders, obstructs. They hinder concentration. They obstruct gaining concentration. That belongs to tranquility meditation practice. When we try to practice tranquility meditation, these five obstruct them. And there are various ways of overcoming them temporarily. When we overcome them, we gain tranquility or concentration and even attain high levels of concentration, which are called jhanas. Levels of jhanas. There are eight of them. Nine according to Abhidhamma. But if you have eight, that is enough for us. <laughs> it, 
don't need too many. Even if you have one of them, that's plenty. So, uh, to gain those jhanic state, concentrated state of mind, uh, we, got, we have to remove them from our path. We are walking them, we just, you know, put them away by special techniques. That is a temporary thing. But the fetters, fetters are not like that. Fetters are uh, ten in number. They bind us very tightly to what is called samsara. Samsara means uh, repetition of birth and death. These fetters are not very easy to remove like hindrances. What are the fetters? Belief in the existence of permanent eternal self, doubt, Third is belief in attaining liberation by following just precept, rules and regulations, rituals. Then again, greed for sensual pleasure, hatred. So now how many we have? Five. And these five are called down-to-earth fetters, that is heavy fetters, heavy fetters. And there are five other light but subtle fetters. They are called desire for fine material existence, desire for immaterial existence, even when you hear the word fine material, it sounds very subtle. <laughs> when we hear the word immaterial existence, that is even subtler. Then, conceit, conceit, the fourth is restlessness, the fifth is ignorance. So these are the five what you call sophisticated fetters. Since they are sophisticated we don't worry about them. They look very gentleman type thing. <laughs> but uh, they are very very subtle. Now here we can see five subtle fetters, five gross fetters, and combined together we have ten fetters, and on the other hand we have five hindrances. Out of five hindrances, greed, and out of ten fetters, greed. So greed and greed in both groups match. They overlap.
hatred in hindrances, hatred in fetters also match, overlap. Restlessness in hindrances, restlessness in fetter match. Then doubt in hindrances, doubt in fetters match. So you can see there is an overlapping between hindrances and fetters. Then how do we know the difference between these two? We can say one is hinder, fetters also can hinder. There's no nothing to stop it hindering our attainment of concentration, meditation. But the difference is not that. Difference is fetters are like um, my example is you know this um, bamboo bush. Somebody near my window planted a bamboo uh, plant. I said, don't plant bamboo plant here, because once it, it, it takes root in the ground, you don't know what, will, what it will do. It keeps producing shoots, you know, again and again and again. It is extremely difficult to get rid of. Now he said, no, no, Bhante, no, this doesn't happen in this country. We can get rid of it. Don't worry. I said, this bamboo does not recognize the country. <laughs> it behaves like a bamboo. Don't plant. He did not believe, planted. Within one year, it grew up to a huge bush and covered my window. I could not see anything. Then I said, see what, I, this, see what has happened? I told you last year. Remove it. So he took, uh, you know, digging bars and uh, pickaxe and uh, so forth and so on. He removed. And he said, okay, all gone. I think, I said, no, no, it's not gone. <laughs> <laughs> A month later, very healthy bamboo shoot came back and said, hi, I am here again. I said, see, you got to remove it. He removed it again. Two weeks later, another appeared. And he removed it again. Three weeks later, another appeared. And it went on, you know, new shoots coming up over and over. So one day, somebody came and brought a bulldozer and dug the whole place and removed And said, now you will not have any more bamboo shoots. I said, wait for another two months. <laughs> sure enough, after two months, another appeared. Then another person brought uh, a herbicide and poured herbicide here and there. Next day, they, it rained. Herbicide washed away. And two months later, 
appeared again. So that person kept on digging, digging, digging and removed this big, this big, this long, one shoot. I don't know how they grew, grew so fast, underground. This has been going on for two years. And last uh, month, I found another shoot. You see? Fetters are like that. <laughs> Fetters remain in our deep down in our subconscious mind. And uh, until we uproot the fetters, hindrances appear. Hindrances are like these little shoots coming out from the bamboo. Hindrances are temporary. You can cut them and remove. Temporarily, it would, it would be gone. And since the roots are there, roots are the fetters. It is just like uh, we have... Uh, Hurricane. Hurricane comes and goes. But so long as wind is there in the around this world, so long as the world is going, you know, in a, uh, what you call circle, spinning. One time or another, we will have hurricane. When the suitable conditions are there, hurricane is there. As long as the wind is existing, we have to expect hurricane. Similarly, as long as fetters exist, remember these two words, fetters and hindrances. Hindrances are like babies, they just appear and disappear, like little shoots, bamboo shoots. But the fetters are very, very heavy, down to earth, deeply rooted defilements. So, we meditate not just to get rid of our hindrances, we meditate to get rid of our fetters. And, and however, that is not that easy, you know, it, it is relatively easier to get rid of our hindrances. As I said this morning, when we, this afternoon, when we feel sleepy, we take care of it temporarily, and sleepiness will disappear. Because it, as, a, as a hindrance, it is uh, relatively easy to get rid of. Greed, as it arises during meditation, uh, in the Mahasattvatthana Sutta itself there is a section called uh, Mindfulness of uh, Consciousness. Four foundations of mindfulness, 
How many of you do not know four foundations of mindfulness, at least by name? If you don't know, don't be embarrassed to raise your hand if you do not know the four foundations of mindfulness by name. There are few, not too many. There, well, four foundations of mindfulness means mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of feelings, mindfulness of consciousness, and mindfulness of mental activities or mind objects. These are the four foundations for mindfulness. Mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of feelings, mindfulness of consciousness, and mindfulness of mental activities. These are the four foundations of mindfulness. Mindfulness of consciousness is a very special uh, mindfulness because uh, it is not very easy to become mindful of consciousness. Because consciousness does not exist by itself. Whenever we try to be conscious, we will find either greed in the consciousness, we will find hatred in the consciousness, we will find confusion in the consciousness, we will find one thing or another in consciousness. Because consciousness does not exist by itself. It always needs some mental state to manifest itself. You say, I am conscious. Conscious of what? Whenever we say, I am conscious, that doesn't mean that you are coming out of coma <laughs> or going into coma. Conscious means we are conscious of something. We cannot talk about pure, mere consciousness. And becoming mindful of that consciousness is one foundation for mindfulness. In that particular section, since the consciousness is not, it, since it is not possible, to become pure consciousness without any content in it, Buddha said, when greedy consciousness arises, become mindful of greedy state of consciousness. When the mind becomes free from greed, become conscious of the mind free from greed. Now, <coughs> here he talks about hindrances. That means hindrances so fatal, it's not specified. But greed can arise and greed can vanish. There's something that happens to greed temporarily. But the root of greed remains as a fetter. 
and greed can be taken care of as a hindrance and move on with our practice. So, <clears throat> we meditate knowing that uh, mind has a lot of potential for becoming pure, and mind also has a lot of impurities in it. So we meditate in order to free the mind from these impurities, liberate it from impurities. Attaining liberation or attaining enlightenment is nothing but removing all these impurities from the mind. Never to return them again. Then we have uh, happiness of liberation. There are two types of happiness. One is called happiness, I mean, there are many varieties of happiness, but we can put all of them into two categories. One is the happiness of experience of various things through our eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, and mind. We experience numerous things and become happy. But that happiness is a temporary happiness because we become unhappy again. The happiness that we experience through our senses is not permanent, it changes like anything else, all impermanent. An impermanent type of happiness is one kind of happiness. Whether, it, whether we become happy with our uh, companions, with our wealth, with our health, with our achievement, with our success, and doesn't matter. All kind of happiness we experience they all are impermanent. That's why we become unhappy. If happiness is permanent, once we are happy, we remain to be happy all the time. It's not so. <clears throat> and the other kind of happiness is called Vimutti Sukha. First kind of happiness is called in Pali Vedeta Sukha happiness that we experience through our senses, and the other happiness is called vimutti-sukha. Vimutti-sukha means happiness of liberation. Liberation. Once the mind is liberated from fetters, we will be really happy. And that happiness will never change. Why? Because there is nothing underneath to make it unhappy. As long as fetters are there, just like those bamboo roots, we come back to unhappiness. 
but once the root of unhappiness, which are fetters, are removed, then we will be permanently happy. That is called happiness of liberation. We liberate ourselves from impurities. So Buddha said, an average person who does not know this, who does not know that the mind can be liberated from impurities, that person does not know that it can be liberated, and therefore that person does not meditate. That's why most people do not meditate. People who know that there's a possible possibility, the power, a way, a means to remove these impurities from the mind, then the person takes up meditation very seriously and meditate and liberate himself or herself. So Buddha never mentioned that the mind is uh, totally pure, but he said it can, you know, Everything that shines is not gold, right? Because fakey things can shine like gold. But similarly, the mind can uh, deceive us by showing its uh, shiny state. Sometimes it is very shiny. But uh, underneath that shining, polished state, there are defilements, impurities. When we meditate, we slowly, gradually dive in, down into the deepest level of our mind and then slowly remove those impurities from the mind. And that we can do at two levels. First level, we relax, we sustain our joy, happiness, concentration, and gain deep concentration and use that concentration to delve in to the depth of impurities and that we can do by vipassana. That means there are two kinds of meditation to do these two different things, not two different, two related things. One meditation is called concentration meditation, tranquility meditation, that tranquilizes the mind, make it calm, relaxed and peaceful. And then we use vipassana, insight meditation, to use that calm, peaceful state to go deeper into the roots of defilements and remove them. And we can do this 
keeping these two things in mind and doing it again and again. But we have to be very <coughs> consistent. If we try to um, practice many different, 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 different things, perhaps we might not be able to do this. We have to do one thing, that is practice samatha vipassana, tranquility, insight. These are the only two types of meditation we have to practice. If we go into various uh, uh, practices, you know, meditation, window shopping, we may get lost. It is just like when you, when, uh, when I ask you to dig a hundred feet in the ground, you may dig uh, uh, twenty-five feet holes, and still you may, you can say, well, I dug hundred feet. <laughs> but I wanted you to dig hundred feet in one place, not in twenty places. So there's a big difference between digging twenty-five feet deep holes and one one hundred foot deep hole. If I ask you, you can get water, if you dig hundred feet, you may dig twenty five feet deep holes, you will never get water. But you got to dig one hundred feet in one place, then you can get water. Similarly, if we keep doing the same thing, diligently, consistently, over and over again, you will leave the footprint <laughs> on that fact. But if you jump here and there, you will never leave a footprint. You will never cut through this deeply rooted defilements. You got to follow the method, follow the system, very diligently repeating the same thing. You know, it is very much like uh, cleaning a room. Suppose there's a construction work going on all around. If you keep the windows open, dust will come inside the room. So you determine to clean the room. If you keep the windows open, doors open and clean, you cannot do the job. Dust will come back. The first thing we have to do is to close the doors and windows. This is what is called restraint. Restraint. Restraining our senses. These senses are called in Pali doors, dwara. Eyes door, ear door, <laughs> nose door, mouth door, body door, mind door. These are called doors. 
close them. And Buddha gave a simile in Sanyutta Nikaya, Kummova angani sake kapale manodang viku samodang viku mano vitake. Just like a, a turtle, turtle has uh, six uh, limbs coming out, four, two, four legs, uh, neck and the tail, six. He very, you know, comfortably, he relaxed and spread all this out, and all of a sudden he smells a fox coming close by. Then he will withdraw all this in inside and get inside the shell. The fox will come and sniff here and there. He knows that there's an animal inside, flesh inside, but fox cannot bite because the shell is very strong, very very tough. So fox goes away. Buddha says similarly, withdraw your senses. Now, restraint, you know, when we use this kind of similes, people think, well, we, then in that case, there's somebody who doesn't, cannot see at all, you know, bone, stone, blind, <laughs> and uh, totally deaf, and so forth and so on, may be able to meditate better. That's not the, that is not the point. We are not trying to <clears throat> close our eyes and pretend not to see anything or become, you know, pretend to be deaf, not to hear anything. That's not the point, that's not what it means. It simply means <coughs> restrain, restrain. Buddha gave very beautiful, uh, very simple instructions sometimes to some people. You remember there was a man called Bahya Daruchirya. Bahya Daruchirya. He was a man stranded after shipwreck. He, he even did not have clothes to wear, so he peeled off some bark from trees and, you know, put them around to cover his nakedness, and came to see the Buddha and asked uh, him to give some instructions. Buddha said, Buddha knew that this man would not live too long. And he gave very quick instructions on meditation. He said, when you see, just know that you see, that's all. When you hear, just become aware of hearing, nothing more. Smell, taste, touch, and so forth, all like that. Dite, dite matang, sute, sute matang, mute, mutamatang, vinyate, vinyadamatang, like that, he said. That means, be mindful and totally become aware of what really is happening. For instance, when we hear a sound, if we simply become, pay attention to the sound, We can see the sound growing old, decaying and dying. This uh, 
growth, decay and death occurs not only to the body, body grows, decay and die. See, our feelings also grow, decay and die. Our perception grows, decays and dies. Our thoughts grows, decays and dies. Our consciousness grows, decays and dies. Decay and die, decay means growing, maturing, coming to a higher mature state. Feelings can mature and disappear. Anything that do, the, 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 from the moment something arises, it slowly goes through the process of existence and then disappears. That process, going through the process of existence is called decay or growing old or whatever. That happens to everything. So when we pay attention to a sound that we hear, we can see this process in the sound. It appears like when we ring the bell. It grew, appeared, grew and died. When I strike, I struck the bell, the sound very quickly appeared and if you keep listening, you can see it slow dying. So when we pay attention to something, when we hear a sound, that is what we hear. Appears, slowly grows and slowly declines and disappears. That declining is called decaying and then disappearing. So, uh, when we pay attention to anything, we see that. <coughs> so, uh, so, we can see impermanence. In other words, impermanence of all our experiences. The knowledge of impermanence is important because we grow our insight, our understanding with the knowledge of impermanence so that we will not be utterly disappointed when we see our own impermanence. Our youth is impermanence, our beauty is impermanence, our handsomeness is impermanent, our appearance, our everything is impermanent. Impermanence, when it is happening right now, we don't see it. Impermanence of our body, we don't feel it. But impermanence has its stamp. Impermanence has its marks. It is signature, it is identity. And impermanence leaves its identity behind. 
its marks behind. Just like when hurricane, you know, runs across certain landscape, when we go there, we can see the marks the hurricane has left behind. Trees are all broken, bent and fallen onto the ground. Vehicles are, you know, blown away. Houses are broken. By seeing these marks, we know that there was a hurricane. Similarly, impermanence in our body leaves its mark behind. How can we know that? One day we see this shiny, beautiful skin is wrinkled. This very blown, black, good, healthy hair turned grey. These very strong teeth that we can hold chairs and lift one day <laughs> are weak or broken. And this strong body that uh, can lift uh, 600 pounds cannot lift even sometimes a glass of water. That means impermanence has left its mark behind. By seeing these marks, we know that we are impermanent. If we know impermanence every day, then we will be with the impermanence, not behind it. So accept it, go along with it. We cannot stop it, we cannot fight, if you cannot find, join. Right? <laughs> At least that we can do in, when we meditate. Friends, um, I think this may be enough. You may ask me questions this evening and then we can have a discussion. <clears throat> so we can see the reason why we meditate. Why we meditate. Uh, this is a very short retreat, hardly two days, and no time to go into a deep Dhamma talks. But uh, I just want to uh, give you a, a sample of taste of Dhamma. Thank you very much for your patient listening. <laughs>